We're excited about, excited about what God is doing. And again, your giving allows us to do that. Uh, this week, Reach Church out of Kansas City. It's an inner city church out of Kansas City. They have over 100 missionaries coming in the next three weeks. Uh, we're going to be blessing them with stuff as they reach out uh, to the inner city Kansas City, especially the homeless, those things like that. And because you're giving, like Pastor Brad said, we're able to do those things. Uh, one of the things that I want to address, I want to just cover a pastoral moment here uh, for a moment in light of what happened this week in our country and really has divided our country is, is simply, I'm just going to stay right on point on scripture. You know, it says that, that Psalm 127 says, all children are a gift from God. So all children, the key is what I want people to realize is it didn't say perfect children are a gift from God. It said all children. It didn't say those who don't have problems are not a gift from God, but it says all children are a gift from God. And that is every moment of that conception of life. As a church, we are pro-life, period. Pro-life, I, I can pronounce that. Psalm 139 talks about that. Psalm 127 talks about that. Jeremiah chapter, chapter 1 talks about that. And so if children are a gift from God, all children are a gift from God, then, then we have to recognize that. If you study Pastor Jenny, Jenny Gilpin, who, who travels around the world and plants churches, uh, she was a product. Her mother was raped, and she was a product, and God is using that. So Romans 8.28 says all things work together for good. And so we have to begin to understand and stand on Scripture. Everybody say Bible. So that is my opinion. And, and you know... I'll just be real with you. Ask Jay and Donna Lewis about their granddaughter. Ask Calvin and Tally about their daughter. Ask Pastor Brad and Meredith about their daughter. And I could go on and on. Ask Rod and Debbie Harlan about their grandson, Roman Whitney, who grew up in this church, married Adam Dinkle. You know what? They didn't have perfect children. But if you ask every one of them, they will tell you that that child their children is a gift from God. And so that is where we stand. That is what we're all about. That children in any facet of life are a gift from God. And so I just want to address that. That's where we stand as a church. Um, you know, a lot of things I don't address, but that I believe is very biblical and very scriptural. Amen? Well, let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for this time. And Lord, that you desire us to be overcomers this summer. And Father, as we just have different things in our lives, Father, one of the things that affects 30%, since the pandemic, they said 30% plus of Americans will suffer severe depression in their life. And Father, if we're going to suffer it, you've provided a way for us to overcome it. You said that you've given us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Father, it says that you'll turn our mourning into dancing. You'll turn our heaviness, Father, that we can, we can somehow cast that off, Father. And Lord, even though that, that there's things that we need to, to use common sense, we need to go get physicals, and, and God, you use that. But Father, that you begin to teach us how we can overcome depression, but also how we can help others overcome depression. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a college professor that was teaching a psychology class, and he asked the first student in the class, he said, what is the opposite of joy? And the first student responded, sadness. He asked the next question, he said, what is the opposite of depression? And the second student replied, elation. And then on the third question, the doctor of psychology in his class, he said, 
He said, what is the opposite of woe? W-O-E. And Bubba in the crowd lifted up his hand and he said, giddy up, professor. <laughs> you know, a merry heart does good like medicine, amen. And one of the things that I want to share with you is we have a pastoral counseling. Pastor Brad recently completed his, his, his master's degree. And, and if you need counseling in your life, yeah, give him a great big hand clap. If you believe that you need counseling, we have a counseling form in the info booth that you can get, fill out, and then Pastor Brad will get with you and, and begin to work with that as we really want to make that aware because sometimes we need help walking through what it is. And I believe that depression is one of the greatest problems in the world today. Depression has simply become as common as the common cold for emotional illness in our life. And everybody gets depressed, Amen. All of us have been depressed. I have been depressed. You've been depressed. We've all been depressed sometimes. Some of us, though, are nearly depressed most of the time or nearly all the time in our life. And it's not limited to poor people. It's not limited to people with physical ailments. It's not limited to diagnose people with life-threatening things in their life. But when you study the Bible, even great men and women of God got depressed. Elijah was an example. You think about Elijah, you heard the first Kings chapter 19. He was a tremendous spokesperson for God. For three years, he was God's mouthpiece to the nation of Israel. For three years, there, he caused a spiritual awakening in the country that was worshiping pagan idols in their life. But there was one person in 1 Kings who didn't like Elijah, and her name was Jezebel. She was the queen of Israel. She was a wicked woman who hated him because he had so much influence as a spokesperson for the real God. And so I want to help you to learn to battle depression in your life and begin to pray for you over the next couple of weeks. Communion is reminding what Jesus did for you. He was to set the captives free. Those that are bound up by the heaviness of depression, communion, I believe that when you take it here in about 20 minutes, that you can begin to see a transformation of joy into joy in your life. Oh, everybody say, I am an overcomer. So we pick up the story in 1 Kings 19.2. It was the story comes right after an awesome miracle where Elijah is calling down fire from heaven and read the story because it, uh, they poured water over the, the, the altar and the sacrifice and God came and licked it all up. And, and so, so, so Elijah did this and people started turning to the Lord in, in magnificent amounts. Queen Jezebel was mad and she sends this message. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, verse 2. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah had been fearless, notice this, for three years. And now he becomes frightened when one person threatens him. When one person threatens him. And verses 3 through 5, it says he runs out to the desert, he gets depressed, he sits under a tree and prays that he might die. Have you ever been there? I mean, we've all been depressed like Elijah, amen? So you have to ask yourself, am I a prime candidate for depression like Elijah was? And notice what made Elijah a prime candidate. He was physically tired, he was emotionally exhausted, 
And I understand that because after you minister in any capacity, you have poured out, poured out, and you're empty, and that's when the enemy tries to come in a lot of times. That's why, you know, I tell a lot of people, you know, right after I pour out on a Sunday, I'm like, hey, is this heavy? Because if it's heavy, I'll just have to, 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 to listen and get back to you because, you know what, at that point, I'm empty in my life. Or, you know, this week, I'll be honest with you, I had a funeral Wednesday, I had a funeral Friday, and uh, made you just emotionally exhausted and spiritually pour out because you're trying to help those that mourn to be comforted. You have someone that's threatened his life. He was a mental basket case. He had all kinds of problems. He was dealing with fear, and we'll talk about this next week, and guilt and resentment and anger and loneliness, six emotions. But don't miss this because James says Elijah was a man just like us. Elijah was a man just like us. In other words, he has the same problems that we do. And in this case, he had a problem with depression. Elijah was depressed and ready to die. And I begin to think, why do we get ourselves into such emotional messes in our life? Sometimes it's because what happens to us. Other times it's the circumstances that happen in our lives. But more often than not, don't miss this, it's our faulty thinking. See, our emotions are caused by our thoughts. Everybody say emotions. Our emotions are caused by our thoughts. You have over 10,000 thoughts a day, you know, that, 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 that scientists say. So 10,000 thoughts, you know, the Bible says you can capture every thought and bring it into captivity to Christ Jesus to determine if it's good and acceptable. So our emotions are caused by how we interpret life, your perspective on life. If you look at life negatively, you know what? You're going to get down. If you look at the world negatively, you look at the world through news media, you look at the world at what's going on, you're going to get down. But if you look at the word of God and look at the world through the word of God, then man, the harvest is ripe. Thrust in the sickle and reap. Man, this is a time for the body of Christ to rise up and be bold and strong and courageous. See, it's your perspective. Everybody say perspective. So if you want to get rid of negative emotions, you have to change the way that you think and begin to transform your mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. To overcome depression, you must get the incorrect attitudes about life corrected. You must get your incorrect attitudes about life corrected. It's why Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 32, when, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. And if you look at things from the right point of view, you look at things from God's point of view, you look at things from the truth point of view or the Bible point of view, that goes a long way towards not being depressed. And the only way that you can change your mind and your emotions is changing the way that you think. Well, how do you do that? I'm so glad you asked. Because why did Elijah, if we look in 1 Kings 19, we look at why Elijah got depressed. And if we can understand why Elijah got depressed, then we'll begin to understand that we don't have to play the same games that a lot of people play when they get depressed. 
1 Kings chapter 19, verse 3 and 4. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life to Bathsheba, a town in Judah. Now, it's interesting because Judah means praise. And he left his servant there, and then he went alone into the wilderness. That's a big problem, alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. And in those two verses, there's four games that people play that cause depression. He said, Lord, I've had enough. I'm just wasting my life. I don't want to put up with this anymore. I'm trying to be your servant, but nobody is doing what is right, and I'm fed up with it, Lord. I'm giving up on my spouse. I'm giving up on my kids. I'm giving up on my career. I'm giving up on my health. I'm giving up on my friends. You ever been there and done that? So what was this first mistake? The first mistake that we all make when we get depressed. Number one, we focus on our feelings rather than the facts. It always happens when we get depressed. We focus on how we feel rather than reality around us. We focus on how we feel rather than reality around us. Elijah felt like a failure because one incident frightened him. He thought about himself, I am a coward. What am I doing running? So because he catches felt like a failure, he assumed that he was a failure. Because he felt feelings like a failure, he assumed he was a failure. Psychologists call this emotional reasoning. It's a destructive that if I feel this way, it must be true. But it's not true. That's why you can be an overcomer this summer. We must learn to ignore those feelings because feelings are not always facts. Amen? Amen. Feelings are highly unreliable. Any of you that have been married, for instance, when Trisha and I first got married, I would wake up and I didn't feel married. I didn't feel it. I mean, it was new. It was something that was there. But all the evidence, I had a marriage license. I had a ring on my finger. I had a, a woman next to me. All the evidence was to prove there that I was married. I don't always feel close to God. But that doesn't mean I'm necessarily far away from him either. Because he's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I don't always feel like a Christian, but you know what? I am a Christian. And what I want you to understand, after we make one mistake in our life, we tend to feel as if we're a total failure in all of life. And that's the misconception. Guess what? Everybody's entitled to mistakes. Proverbs says a righteous person, a person right standing with God, will fall seven times. And what I want you to understand, you can fail in some areas without being a failure as a person. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Everybody say, I am not a failure. Man, doesn't that feel good? I am not a failure. Even though I make mistakes and I fail in life, I am not a failure. Most psychologists believe that one key to health is to get your feelings out in the open. They say become aware, vent your feelings, get them out. But that's not a complete answer because feelings are unreliable. The Bible, the Bible does not tell us to get in touch with our feelings. The Bible tells us to get in touch with truth. 
Because it's the truth that sets us free. Everybody say truth. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, that if you are born again where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. If you are born again, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit immediately comes and lives inside you, and you suddenly have liberty. You're free from heaviness. You're free from depression. I'm not saying you don't go through it, but you can be set free from it. You can overcome it in your life, but you got to do what? You got to renew your process of thinking. And when you feel that come into your life, you got to say, no, I'm not that. I am more than an overcomer. God gives me joy for morning. Those who sow in tears will reap joy in the fields that are coming. Everybody say truth. It comes back to truth. The second game that we play is the mental game of comparing ourselves with others. Look at somebody and say, don't do that. Don't compare yourselves. 1 Kings chapter 19, I am no better than my ancestors, Elijah said. And he prayed that. A second cause of depression happens when we start comparing ourselves to other. Because we fall into the trap of thinking, well, if I could just be like so-and-so, I'll be happy. And we start comparing ourselves with people we're asking for trouble. Look what the word of God says, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 12. Oh, don't worry. We wouldn't dare say that we're as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are, but they are only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as a standard of measurement. And I love this. How ignorant. I mean, it's just like right in your face. How ignorant. Why should we compare ourselves to anybody else when the Bible says that each person is uniquely made by God? And for... There is only one person who, who can be you, and that's you. That's you. But if you're always trying to act like somebody else, you're going to be depressed. You have to learn to be honest with who you are. That's all God expects, and that's all God desires. But when we start comparing ourselves with other people, we fall into another trap. This is the trap. We tend to compare our weaknesses with their strengths, forgetting that those people also have weaknesses where we may be strong. You've got to get that. You've got to get that. I am not a great one-on-one -on -one person. My wife is a tremendous one-on-one -on -one person. So I have to work at that. I work at things. I'm, I have to battle insecurities in my life, just like you do. Yeah, can I, can I, do this? Yeah, I can do this. But you know what? I can't even hammer a nail straight. No, seriously, I can't. It's not my thing. I can destroy stuff. I just can't build stuff. <laughs> so the thing is, we try to motivate ourselves through criticism and condemnation. How do we do this? By shooting ourselves. I should be able to be like that person. I should be able to act better. I should be able to accomplish that. I should be able to stop that. And we whip ourselves verbally as if it's going to motivate us to be better. Nagging does not work, whether we use it on ourselves or others. 
Self-criticism does not work. Other David, the Bible says, encouraged himself in the Lord when he was depressed. You know, the Bible says I'm unique. The Bible says in Psalm 139 that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And the Bible says all that. And the same is that with you, that, that, that it doesn't work. There, in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I it don't have to condemn myself. The third game that we play that causes depression is we blame ourselves for negative events that are not our fault. We blame ourselves for negative events that are not our fault. You pick up 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 10. It says, Elijah applied, I have been zealously serving the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. In essence, he said... God, I've worked for you for three years, but the people still aren't any closer to you. God, I've really tried, but they're still living the same way as before. And in his depression, Elijah blamed himself for failing to change a nation. In his depression, he took it personally. And in his depression, he took on this false blame and when we do that, we'll always become depressed in our life. When we do that, we assume responsibility that God never intended for us to have because it's too heavy of a burden. If you have a habit of helping people, you begin to realize sooner or later that people do not always respond the way that you would like them to respond. Amen? Whether it's your children, your friends, your spouse, your coworkers, your fellow dream teamers, your small group people, whatever that is, people react in many different ways. And if you get that, that is very free. You can't assume responsibility for somebody's responses because God has given each person a free will. When you assume responsibility for the decisions of others, you are accept a burden that will only depress you. Get what I'm saying here. I've learned this. Doing what I do constantly. You know what? Because a lot of people say, well, you know, I, I need to get them saved. I, no, you don't need to get anybody saved. You need to plant the seed, water the seed, fertilize the seed, pull the weeds around the seed. But the Holy Spirit brings the harvest. It's not your responsibility to get them saved. It's the Holy Spirit's responsibility to get them saved. But yes, you prime the heart. And it'll set you free. Sometimes you can influence people, but you cannot control them. The final decision is theirs and theirs alone. Don't be depressed with something you cannot control. And then the last game that people play, and we'll look at the solutions next week, is they exaggerate the negative. And how many of y'all do that? Come on, say amen. We all do? Exaggerate the negative? I remember my, one of my first hospital visits. It was probably my favorite, one of my favorite stories. We, we were over in the other building, and, and we were living on Chandler Street. So this goes way back in year number one in ministry. Been in ministry about three months. And uh, we had a lady that uh, called us up, and uh, she said, Vic, I'm dying. She's on her way to the hospital. And I said, what are you calling me for? Call 911, you know. I mean, and so, so her name's Brenda. And, uh, and she's like, I'm dying. I'm having a heart attack. And and so I, I get up, whatever, 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm, I'm rushing to the hospital, I'm going to lay hands, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm that guy, okay? And I get there, she wasn't having a heart attack, she had gas pains. All she had to do was burp or toot, and she'd been okay. <laughs> okay. 
She exaggerated the negative. Come on, say amen. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me also. Elijah was holding a pity party for himself. Everybody's against me. Nobody likes me. I might as well go eat worms. It's amazing. I always thought that, that go eat worms, I, I studied that out, and I thought it was when they put you in the ground, you'd eat worms because, you know, your body decayed, and that's not the way it started, but you can look it up, Google it. Killed my illustration when I searched it. <laughs> thought about lying, but I thought that ain't right. But, but think about it. Nobody was really against him. Only one person violently opposed him, and her threat wasn't a real th threat. Now, listen to me. We exaggerate the negative. If Elijah would have slowed down for a moment and simply thought about the situation, that's why we wear these little bracelets that say pray first, he would have realized that Jezebel probably did not dare to kill him. Yes, did she send a messenger with the threat of death? Yes. But Jezebel, if she had really intended to kill Elijah, come on, now follow me here, common sense. Would she have sent a messenger to warn him ahead of time? No, she would have sent an assassin to take him out. Come on. There's no sniper that says, hey, I'm coming to kill you. I just want you to be aware. <laughs> Jezebel, I believe, because she was so manipulative, was too intelligent to have Elijah killed because she recognized his powerful influence over the nation of Israel. And if Elijah would have been killed, he would have became a martyr. And once a person becomes a martyr, their influence exponentially increases. She was probably afraid of what God would do to her if she touched his man, which we find later when she touched him, God still got a hold of her. Her words were an empty threat. The Bible says that the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion. Didn't say he was the lion. No, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the, the tribe of praise. The enemy is a counterfeit lion. And sometimes we have to recognize what's going on. She probably let him escape to the desert because she didn't really intend to kill him but she wanted him to make him look like a coward in front of the nation. She wanted him to leave the area, thereby stopping him from performing the miracles, which, what, when Jesus be lifted up, all people will come unto him. It's no time for the church to be silent, but stand on the word, not your opinion. Amen? The word. The mistake that caused his depression, catch this, and I'm getting ready to, to wind down. He did not evaluate the threat. He just ran away. See, when we're depressed, we exaggerate the negative. Everything looks bad. Going to hell in a handbasket. I did look that term up, and it says when the miners went down, down there, it looked like hell that they were going into when they lowered him down in the San Francisco gold rush. And yet the word of God says there was still 7,000 faithful to the God. Elijah exaggerated the problem and sank lower than ever. Another aspect of this trap of exaggerating the negative is we label ourselves. Instead of saying I made a mistake and confessing it and being forgiven like 1 John 1, 9 says, 
we say, you know what? We mess up once. We say, man, I am a total failure. Instead, you know what? I made a mistake. We say, I'm a total failure. Total failure, Vic. What'd you do? Man, I made an F. It's a mistake. Man, I ate so much. I am a glutton. I cannot stop eating. And said, you know what? Accidentally, I overate this time. Man, I'm a klutz. First, I accidentally tripped. And when we label ourselves with titles, it only reinforces the problems and makes things worse and depresses us. But I want to label you with a word today. You're an overcomer. You're an overcomer. You're more than a conqueror. You're the head and not the tail. You can go from faith to faith, glory to glory. Victory to victory. Next weekend, we're gonna, I'm going to share with the remedy, I believe, what the freedom from depression looking at is life. But what I want you to learn to do is like, you've got to learn to prophesy to your life. You've got to learn to prophesy God labels on your life. Scripture. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. His grace is sufficient for me in my weaknesses. You've got to learn to label self, prophesy. And you've got to learn to prophesy to your families, calling those things that are not as though they already are. And I want to close with this story. And they're going to bring communion forward. There's a boy by the name of James, a true story, who is not a believer. And the fact was, he was very anti-Christian. When one day his mom bought him a Bible, and she took it up while he was in his room, and she laid it on her desk, and she said, son, here's your new Bible. James replied to his mom, what's this for? His mother looked at her son and said, you don't know it yet, but you're about to become a Christian. James replied, no, I'm not, mom. I'm going to play football and go to hell. His mother went to church that Sunday and said, my son is about to become a Christian. He doesn't know it yet, but I'm thanking God in advance for him. James' friends, all his teammates on the football team, they began to walk up to James. They said, James, we heard you became a Christian. He goes, I didn't become a Christian. That's my crazy mom saying that. He said, I'm going to play football and go to hell. His mom went to church a week later, two weeks later, third week. She told the pastor, she said, save 20 minutes for Sunday night. She said, this weekend, my son's becoming a Christian. It was Friday night before the Saturday game. James was off playing football on the field. They were doing the final walkthroughs. And somewhere during the final walkthroughs, he felt the presence of God come on him. And right there in the final walkthroughs in practice, he dropped to his knees. And he began to say, God, I ask you to come into my life. And God, if you can make a difference in me, change me, save me, whatever it is that you do to cause me to become born again, God, I'm ready to accept. And James said, in that moment, 
He felt the presence of God come on his life. He got up off his knees in his uniform shoulder pads. He ran down the street, ran a couple blocks to his home. He ran in the front door of his home. He ran up the stairs. He broke into his mom's room. He went in and gave his mom a hug. And he said, he said, I became a Christian, mom. And his mom said, of course you did. I've been telling people for three weeks. And she said, what made the difference was I thanked God in advance for my son's salvation. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you're here right now and you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ. And I just want to make sure that communion can impact you just like it impacts us who have been Christians for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And if you've never asked Jesus Christ into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior, maybe you need to resurrender your heart to Jesus for the thousandth time. And I'm believing that this time it's going to stick. Then all we are to do is remember that Jesus, when he was up on that cross, he took all our sin, all our sickness, all our shame, our guilt, our blame. Then he died and he took it to hell exactly where it's supposed to be. He got the keys to death, hell, and the grave. He resurrected on the third day that you might have life eternal by accepting him into your life. And if that's you right now, just right there at your seat, say, dear Jesus, I just ask you to come into my heart. I give you my life. I give you all my failures, my mistakes. I give you all my heaviness. And I receive, I receive you, Jesus. I ain't got much left, but what I have, I give to you. And you sort of pray that prayer in Jesus' name. And I want to encourage you, if you prayed that prayer, fill out that connect card and the seat back's in front of you. We want to help you with next steps, water baptism, growth tracks, small groups. Man, there's next steps, the body of Christ to surround you because you're not to do life alone. Fill that in because we would love to just come alongside you and encourage you. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. We've got communion forward, and I'm going to pray over communion. David said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Salvation is diasozo, Holy Spirit, which means totally complete, totally, completely saved. Some of us need to remember that that no one can take us out of the Father's hands, our mistakes can't, but we can walk out of the Father's hand. Diasozo means we're totally and completely prospered in our life, that we're rich, not just financially, but we're well supplied in every area of our lives. Father, you provide that abundance of joy, that abundance of peace, that abundance of, of, of life. Father, we're totally and completely delivered and set free. We no longer have to be blinded by our yesterday. If we've confessed our sins, you're faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
And when the devil tries to shoot that flaming arrow, we can put up the shield of faith and quench it. Because we're forgiven, we're loved, we're accepted. We're not expected to be perfect, but just to live righteously the best that we can. Father, let us remember that, that joy of that moment when we said, yes, Jesus, you came into our lives. Let us remember that moment we were water baptized. And man, we came up out of that water and we felt different. Let us remember that time where we didn't take take communion religiously or routinely, but when we took communion, man, we felt an empowerment of the presence and power of Christ. Let us remember when we shed those tears and we smiled and we had that zeal and fervor and fire. Father, we repent where we've got used to it. We repent where we have to. And we do a divine reversal that you'll ignite our hearts. I was glad when they said unto me, let me go to the house of the Lord. I was glad when I got to be with the body of Christ to lift each other up. I was glad that, Father, you chose me to be a light to the world. Not ashamed of the gospel, because if I'm ashamed of the gospel, then I hide it from those who are lost. And communion reminds us of life. Life. Life eternal with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please come partake of communion. Uh, God bless you. Have a great day. An amazing week. It's up here.